Welcome to the Visionaries Podcast, sponsored by Alchemy. I'm your host, Jim Maruz. The Visionaries Podcast shines a light on financial institutions at the cutting edge of digital transformation, providing you with the tips and tricks to elevate your digital game, no matter what size your organization is. I'm really excited to be joined by Smart Financial Credit Union CIO, Marcus Manning, on the Visionaries Podcast. Marcus was just named Future CIO by Houston CIO Community, for his foresight in how to leverage AI as a way financial services are both delivered and perceived by consumers. Just as importantly, Marcus works tirelessly to build a culture at Smart Financial that will make the credit union more future ready. His belief is that people, process, and technology are the three pillars to success. In this episode, we'll discuss how these pillars support more than just better banking, but also offering a richer user experience bolstering security, an improved employee experience, and a pretty good path to growth. Data, insights, technology, and updated processes are keys to success in financial services today. But without a strong, empathetic culture, the benefits of digital transformation will never be optimized. So Marcus, before we discuss the pillars of success that helped you win the Futurist CIO Award, can you provide a bit of a background on your career path and on Smart Financial Credit Union? Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jim. So uh, we'll start off. I've been in the IT space for a long time. I won't say how many years, but uh, we'll go with 20 plus. I started out in the oil and gas industry. I spent a couple years there and then I moved over to the airline industry, which was probably where I got the depth and breadth of my leadership skills as well as my technology skills. And from there, I moved over to healthcare for a little bit. And then from healthcare, I jumped into the credit union space. And I've been in the credit union space for about 11 years now. And uh, as you can imagine, technology has advanced quickly over the past 20 plus years. And it's never a dull moment, uh, not only from an industry perspective, but from a technology perspective. If you think back, I'll date myself to the old green screens and dumb terminals that we have and now we have smartphones and AI. So it's 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 been a definitely an interesting ride, something that's continuously evolving. And I think that's one of the reasons why I stick with it, because there's never a dull moment and things are consistently changing. So thanks again for having me, Jim. You know, it's interesting. A lot of the people we interview for the Visionaries podcast have a very long career at the same organization and pretty much in the same size element. But you really are somewhat of a big fish in a smaller pond where you've had some really cool experiences at Continental Airlines, as you said, in the healthcare and the oil and gas industry. And, you know, while a lot has been written about the power of AI, it is interesting that really it's the way we deploy it that really sets our organizations and ourselves apart. You know, in researching for this podcast and in reading about your recent Futurist CIO Award, it's clear that you're a major proponent of leveraging AI across the entire organization. Can you share some of the ways in which you're currently using AI at Smart Financial? Absolutely. So I'll start with kind of the, the foundation um, and to give some background on why I have the perspective that I have on AI. Number one, I think it's a great tool. Um, I think that it's a tool that's going to help propel us to the next level when it comes not only to member service, but also from a data and analytical standpoint as well. There are a lot of decisions that can be made really, really quickly. 
using AI and we are using that in some of our areas within our credit union um, and our lending engine in particular. Uh, We're just scratching the surface in some areas, but it's going to give us the opportunity to make faster, more quantity of lending decisions as opposed to just taking them, you know, one by one and evaluating from a human standpoint. So that, I think that's one area that it's really going to help propel us or project us to the next level. Another area that we're using is the cyberspace. And I don't hear a lot of people talk about that, but AI and machine learning has been used in the cyberspace for quite some time now before it became a buzzword. So we're really using AI in our cybersecurity space and the bad guys are out there and they have the same tools that we have as well. So it's kind of this, you know, the the red and blue team or the cat and mouse game. So we're we're really using AI to help us at least stay with the bad guys, if not trying to stay in, in front of the bad guys. And then another way we're using it is in our marketing initiatives as well. You know, there's a lot of data out there. You know, me being from Texas, I've heard that, you know, Data is the equivalent of the oil in Texas. So data has a lot, a lot of value. And it's not just the data, it's how you use that data and it's how you make decisions based on that data. So from a marketing standpoint, we're really using AI to help us make faster decisions. And again, decisions that are beneficial to our organization. A couple of things that I would would caution about AI, and I think everyone should think about is the type of data that you're using when it comes to AI, right? So you can put a, an AI or a chatbot on the internet and it can come back and write you a perfect article, but it could be 100% wrong. And same thing within our credit union space. You know, you, you need to make sure that whatever your employees are using for their data sets, be sure that it's accurate, be sure that it's safe, be sure that it's not being leaked out be sure that the bad guys don't have access to that. So there there are some parameters that we have to put around our AI usage. And also there are some regulations that I think, uh, and I don't want to make this a political conversation, but there are some regulations that are needed in the AI space as well. So those are the things that we're trying to keep an eye on. There are a lot of levels that we're on and a lot of levers that we're pulling, but we want to make sure that we're not pulling too hard, too fast. Wow. A lot to unpack. You know, you, you reference security and protection against fraud. That was really the foundation, as you mentioned, of how AI was used in financial services for quite a long time. It was looking for security risk and fraud risk. What have you done at Smart Financial to enhance your fight against fraud? Are there any programs you use to help? So there are a couple of things. I'll give them a, a plug. So BioCatch is one of the one of the tools that that we've used in partnership with with Alchemy, and we really like their scoring system. So, you know, for those who are familiar with that, there's a scoring system that you can actually put on your members. And if you're seeing a different type of behavior than the norm, you know, once that norm is defined, then that helps you make a decision based on what their scoring model says. So say, for instance, you know, if Marcus has two years worth of transactions that are in Katy, Texas, and then all of a sudden we see transactions or attempted transactions in Beijing from Marcus, then, hey, that's a red flag there. Or vice versa, you know, if we see that Marcus has transactions, he's called and say, hey, I'm going to be in New York for a couple of weeks. You guys are going to see 
some different behaviors and the account has been you know, allowed to allow that different behaviors. And then we start seeing behaviors in Katie. Well, Marcus, you just called us yesterday and said you were in New York. So, so things of that sort, BioCatch has really given us the opportunity to stay ahead of the curve and use some of that predictive analytics when it comes to protecting our members as well as protecting their accounts. Uh, not, not 100% foolproof. I don't think anything is 100% foolproof. Because again, the bad guys have the same tools that we have, but we're trying to mitigate risk as quickly as we can. You know, an organization your size, it's difficult to know the prioritization, the way you implement things at scale and at speed, because the fact that you have to really leverage how big you are and what benefits come to the table. How do you leverage third-party solution providers such as Alchemy to innovate at speed and scale And how do you select the right partners even beyond that partnership? It's really about business outcomes, Jim. Um, As you know, there's so much technology out there, and I'm not a CIO that chases the nice, big, shiny tool. If I did, then uh, our credit union would probably have to close its doors for the amount of money that I spend. So the method or the way that we invest on our technology is that, you know, it's really about member experience and about business outcomes, Right. So, you know, our members are really the crux of our organization. So we want to make sure that we have a stellar member experience, make sure that, you know, the members' accounts are kept safe and make sure that we understand members' journeys, right? So, you know, Marcus, if you have two kids in college, then we may use a marketing campaign and say, hey, we offer tuition reimbursement or, hey, we offer, you know, some type of student loan or, you know, when those kids graduate, you know, hey, here's a car loan because we know their journey in life or hey, you know, here's here's their first mortgage because we we know their journey in life. So when it comes to spend from technology, you know, ROI is, is, of course, you know, that that that's a no brainer. But it's really about adding value and really about the member experience and really about the security around our member experience. So of course, you know, from a credit union, we don't we don't have some of the bigger budgets like some of the, the bigger banks. So we need to make sure that we're being very diligent and make sure that our investments are going to give us that return on that investment, not necessarily from a financial standpoint, but from a member experience and from a growth standpoint as well. So as long as there's business outcomes or growth initiatives or security initiatives that are tied to those investments, then I think that's that's money very well spent. You know, it's interesting because really what you end up having to do is say, I need to make sure I do the basics right And at the end of the day, how am I going to improve the, as you said, the member experience? So how does smart financial use data? How how do you use AI and technology for, let's say, increased user engagement? What have been some of the most impactful outcomes you've had at your organization? We know a pretty good amount of information about our members without being too intrusive, right? I mean, you know, there's there's information, whether people know it or not. You know, as far as your income is concerned, as far as your work status are concerned, a lot of that information is very easily accessible. And we use that data to determine what type of products we're going to tar- target towards our members. As I mentioned earlier, you know, if we have a segment of millennials that we know, you know, hey, we have a segment in this particular region that either they don't have a primary financial institution, which I know that term is not being used very much anymore. 
but they don't have a go-to bank. You know, they may use, you know, one of the fintechs or they may have Acorn or something of that sort. But do they have a relationship with that financial institution? So that's really what we're trying to focus on. You know, how do we target our members and even our potential members? And I think one of the differentiators is going to be those relationships because there is a lot of transactional fintechs and transactional banks that you probably can't name them all. But how many can you name if, you know, Jim walks through the door? Morning, Jim. How are you? We know you by your first name. We know that you have a son that plays lacrosse. We know that you have a son that's going to get married soon. Or Marcus, we know you have a daughter that's going to be graduating college soon. How do you really get to those relationships to where we can really start building a financial future for you as a person, not just a transaction? So that's that's really what we're focusing on. And how do we use technology to do that, of course, And then how do we grow our market share? So, Marcus, we understand that you have a mortgage with, you know, Bank B across the street. We can give you a better rate or we'll have a better experience with your particular mortgage. Why don't you bring your mortgage over to Smart Financial? Things of that sort. So it's really relation based as well as technology based and When it comes to AI, a lot of the day-to-day activities that we have, we're trying to identify what can we automate without losing that personal touch. So say, for instance, if we have an ACH file that we have people that are monitoring and it's not running until 2 a.m. in the morning, well, let's see if we can use some automation here. Let's see if we can use AI and cut that time in half and maybe even repurpose the people that are validating ACH Why don't we use AI? Why don't we use that person in a different role to help us develop those relationships and really help interact with our members? So it's a fine balance. You know, some people think that AI is going to come in and take their job. That's definitely not not our intent. I think AI, if used correctly, it can be an enabler as opposed to replacing people's in their jobs. Um, I know when I was with the airlines, the kiosks that you guys see in the airports now, I was actually on the team to deploy those kiosks. And when we first deployed it, same pushback that we're getting now. You know, hey, Marcus, what are we going to do with the gate agents? You guys are coming in and you're automating. These people are going to lose their jobs. As a matter of fact, we started hiring after we deployed those kiosks because there were other areas that we figured, okay, now this task is automated. There are other things that we need people to do. And it turned out to be great. And, you know, here we are 15, 17 years later, and people don't even know how to function without the kiosk anymore. You know, but, you know, a few years ago, they were talking about how it was going to replace jobs. So it's it's really a, a fine line and it's a fine balance. As I did some research, it looked like one of the ways smart financial builds engagement is to actually embed financial wellness tips within your mobile banking app. How personalized are these financial wellness tips and have members responded positively? So that that's a journey for us. I don't think we'll ever get there. I think it's going to be constantly evolving. And the interstitials that Alchemy uses with their online and mobile bank, well, their mobile banking solution has really been beneficial for our marketing department. And again, going back to some of the data that we have about our members, I'll give you an example. So if we see that Marcus just paid off his vehicle, well, Marcus may want a new vehicle. So let's put an interstitial. As soon as Marcus logs into online banking, hey, Marcus, you know, we have auto loans that are X amount of, you know, finance rate. And this is, you know, how much cash back you can get, things of that sort, whatever the marketing guys come up with. 
And that has really helped. And then we put metrics behind that as well. You know, how, how many clicks do we have on these interstitials, even on our website, you know, for our new account openings? You know, so if it takes 30 minutes to open an account here and it takes two minutes across the street, then then we have a problem. Or if we don't have the ability to open accounts via our mobile banking app, what do we need to do to, to get there? Or real-time payments, you know, that that's that's a big buzzword now with FedNow and Zelle and PayPal, you know, need to make sure that we're offering those solutions, not just out of the box, but how does that solution or how do those solutions really impact our member experience? So some of the partnerships that we have have been very beneficial with that um, because the time to market is really decreased when you work with fintech partners. I don't have a large development shop. I could, I could go hire 30 developers tomorrow, but my cost is going to go up tomorrow as well. So uh, that partnership with fintechs has been really, really great. And then, you know, that member experience that you're talking about from a mobile and online banking solution, the data that we have and the metrics that we use to see that, hey, these are the things that are working. These are things that are not working has really been beneficial to our organization and from a member experience as well. You know, so we have our net promoter scores and we receive feedback from our members and they they tell us they're not hesitant. You know, hey, Marcus, we like this or we don't like this. We want to see this. Why don't you have that? Why do you have this? Why does it take 15 clicks to get to skip a pay for one of my loans? Things of that sort. So really listening to your members and catering to their experience as opposed to the latest and greatest technology that's out there. You know, it's it's very interesting. There's so many things you said there that caught my attention. One was that, number one, you're not there yet. Nobody's going to be there yet. But what you're doing is you're hitting those major keys that will respond to a customer's and member's activity in such a way that they'll take action. But after that, you said that part of your measurement is to find out, are we making it too hard for them to take the action we want them to take? That whole digital account opening experience or digital loan experience that takes 15 minutes instead of three or five minutes, it's a big deal. And you're going to lower your success rate on what you've implemented from an AI perspective. You don't get that right. You also, I think, mentioned the measurement or the tracking of transactions and transfer of funds. Do you do that for smart financial? Are you looking at where funds go from your best customers, your best members to see where else are they doing business? Yes, we do. That's that's one of the metrics that we have. And again, that, that information is, is readily available. You just need to know what partner you, you have in order to get that data. And that's something that we're consistently looking at. Again, you know, I'd say probably four or five years ago, you know, primary financial institution was a key benchmark for your success, right? You know, so if we have members that are getting a direct deposit across the street, why why is that happening? So although primary finance institution is not as heavy as a key performance indicator as it used to be, it's still there. Now we're looking at mortgages. Now we're looking at student loans. You know, now we're looking at car payments. Now we're looking at, you know, vacation homes, depending on what demographic you have. You know, there there are some assets that that people have, and there are some assets that people are looking to acquire as, as well. So yes, we do take that data and we see where people are leaving and why they're leaving. I, I mean, I wish our retention rate was you know 100%, but it's not. I mean, pe- people are unhappy. You're not going to make everyone happy. But those are the things that we really take a look at. You know, hey, what? why are people leaving? Where do they have other financial institutions as part of their portfolio, if you will? 
And then even from a positive standpoint, how are we attracting members? You know, why 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 are you coming to Smart Financial? And if we're doing some things right, then how do we continue to do that? And how we continue to to attract members that are quality members, not necessarily quantity, because we've had that conversation as well. I mean, if we have several people that are opening an account and five dollars in the account, well, now it's costing us money to maintain those accounts. So we really need to make sure that they're quality accounts and not necessarily just quantity. So let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsor of this podcast, Alchemy Technologies. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. Welcome back to the Fissionaries Podcast, sponsored by Alchemy Technology. Well, if it makes you feel good, and it should, when I do surveys out to an audience, when I'm speaking to a big audience, I usually ask, how many of you realize that while you're not losing accounts, you're, in many cases, depleting relationships, where funds are being transferred every payday or every so often to other financial institutions that you're not tracking? I ask, how many of you track the flow of funds to figure out where else your customers do business? And I'd say there's certainly less than 20% of the audience raises their hand. And as we look at the amount of options available in the fintech marketplace, when you look at things like Acorns, SoFi, organizations that are right now more than ever taking customers away or at least deposits away for higher rate funding well, or higher rate savings accounts, the ability to see where these people are going, and it's usually your best customers, you're able to actually respond to that in kind and say, for this small set of customers, I have a higher threshold for what I'll pay knowing that. I'm retaining a customer that also does a lot of business with me currently. So the, the blended rate on the relationship is quite strong. And so I talk to the, the people who are listening to this podcast to say, this is a major deal. It's to use the data available to get the low-hanging fruit. And low-hanging fruit may be those customers that are doing business elsewhere. Because, you know, you, you go back in banking long enough to know we used to measure attrition by number of customers leave against the entire customer base. Well, that number is no longer valid because nobody closes their relationship. Even those who have left you have some money in there at some point because they just didn't get it all the way to zero. So the tracking that is so important. You know, as you're well aware too, digital banking transformation is a journey and not a static destination. You know, budgets are lean. I know you said ROI, but how do you set prioritization on innovations? And what are some of your guiding principles? It's a good question. So there are four pillars that we really operate by. And um, I would say the first would be our employee experience. So a lot of times when people think of digital transformation, you kind of forget your employees, right? So, I mean, if you have 
spreadsheets and you have, you know, documents that have to have a hand signature that you're walking around the office, that doesn't make for a very good employee experience, right? Or even from a member standpoint, if you have a member that comes in and they want a, you know, a CD and it takes you an hour to open a CD, well, you're going to be frustrated because you have to log into this system and then you have to log into that system and then you have to take what's in that system and manually put it in this system. And then the member's frustrated and the employee's frustrated. So really, an employee experience is what we're looking at. Trying to make our employee experience as lean and as efficient as we can so they don't spend so much time working with antiquated systems that they can't focus on the member experience and they can't focus on, even from an, an, a back office standpoint, they can't focus on the efficiency that, that, that we're looking for. And then the second pillar I would say would be the member experience, of course, as, as we talked earlier, you know, with, without our members, then we, we don't exist. So how do you really get the member experience to the point where members are raving fans of smart financial, not just, you know, the mundane transactions? How do you develop those relationships? How do you develop that service model to where, you know, not only am I pleased to have smart financial as my financial institution, I'm going to tell Jim, hey, Jim, you know, Smart Financial is fantastic. You may ought to go over that. The people are great. The rates are great. They treat you well. You, you may want to go in and check them out. So really that member experience, not just your day-to-day task, but how do you, how do you create a, a stellar member experience? And then thirdly, I would say is financial wellness. We have a term called fund the future, right? So we need to make sure that our balance sheet is intact. And as we talked about, you know, from a financial standpoint, the potential to spend is through the roof, right? So if there's anything that I wanted to go out and find from a technical standpoint, I won't have any problem spending money. But it's not just about how much capital we have. We have to make sure that we're we're sound from a capital standpoint. We have to make sure that we're sound and we're ready for any headwinds. I mean, inflation, as you know, if you've read anything soon or recently, you know, so so there are headwinds that are here and there are headwinds that we have to anticipate. So from a financial standpoint, we need to make sure that we are financially sound, you know, not only from a growth standpoint, but also prepare from a headwind standpoint. And then lastly, I would say is the the empathy part. And I know you and I have talked about that, but that's one of the things that really resonates with our organization is everyone is a leader in some way, form or fashion. And empathy is not necessarily just top down. I mean, we have some members to where, you know, they may fall on hard times or there's, you know, life happens, right? And when life happens, we really want to be there for those members. And one way to do that is to show that empathy and lead with empathy. I mean, there there are some situations where we've had, you know, maybe somebody couldn't make their mortgage payment because of some unexpected circumstances. Or, you know, maybe they couldn't make their car payments, some unexpected circumstance. So there are programs that we have. Skip a pay is one of those, you know, hey, if you're on hard times for this month, there's an option where we'll give you to skip your payment for this month. We're not going to alleviate the payment. You're going to have to make it eventually, (laughs) but you can just skip it for now. So there are some things that we're really trying to, from an empathetic standpoint, understand our members and understand where they're coming from and have that 
emotional connection with them to really help them in in their journey of life. So those those are the four things that I that I would say. You know, it's interesting because a lot of organizations talk a good game. They talk about empathy. They talk about employee experience. They talk about the the member or customer experience. They talk about security. And the only one they really double down on in the implementation is the security area. I mean, we see a lot of gaps between what people say and what they really not only put funds toward, but what they really work towards and show every day that they believe in this. Can you give a couple of examples? I'm going to combine two together. I'll say empathy and employee experience and not empathy from a user experience perspective, because you gave great examples of that. But what are some of the things you do? Because, you know, your area of expertise is one of the hardest to get employees right now and to keep employed because my son's a dead engineer. So I know he gets knocks on his door all the time. But one of the reasons he stays is he really likes where he works. He likes the people. He likes the focus. He likes the flexibility. There's a lot of things that are different than when I worked in that he he works remotely. And that company that he works for has been remote forever. But some people work in a hybrid environment. How do you blend all this as a leader to really support the employee who then, on top of that, then supports the members? Because if they like their job, and they like where they're working, they're going to do a really good job of being a proponent in the marketplace. So how do you build that empathy and employee experience on a real tactical level? Absolutely. And that's one of the things that uh, in in my career, in my journey, if you will, I've, I've held several roles. You know, I've, I've been a, a systems engineer. I've been a network administrator. I don't think that title even exists anymore. I've been an applications architect. I've been a data engineer, so any I wouldn't say any, but most titles from a technical standpoint, I've, I've either held the title or, or held the role. And how that ties back to being empathetic or showing empathy is that I've been in most, if not all, roles for the people that I've led up until this point in my career. So I've been on the 2 a.m. phone calls when the website has crashed. I've been on a con- true story. I've been on a conference call on New Year's Eve when the website has gone down and people are trying to travel. Always happens on New Year's Eve or Christmas Eve. It, it just Absolutely. invariably does. <laughs> and I've had a knock on the window from my wife saying, honey, it's 1158. New Year's is two minutes from now. So I've muted the conference call. Brought in the new year, my wife got back on the conference call. So it's very, I wouldn't say easy, but it's not as difficult to lead with empathy when you've been in somebody's shoes. So I've been in the engineer's shoes. I've been in our cybersecurity director. I've been in his shoes. So it's really easy or it comes easy for me to lead with empathy because I was there. And I've always had the mantra of treat people how you would like to be treated, number one. And number two, another thing that I really drive home is, would I work for Marcus? And I think more people need to ask themselves that question. And that's something that I try to keep in my mind, even in my day-to-day interaction. Would I want Marcus to react in this way? If my answer is no, then Marcus, you need to find another reaction before you have this conversation with with that person. So it's it's very easy for me to lead with empathy because I've been in those roles. The second part of that, Jim, I would say is you have to be a fantastic listener and not listen to respond, but listen to hear. 
And that's one of the things. And it's funny because my wife and my kids, they tease me all the time because people just gravitate to me and start having conversations. And, you know, we were at a dance convention and I was in the corner looking at my daughter. And all of a sudden, a couple came up to me and we were best friends before they left. And my wife was like, who was that? I'm like, I just met them today. She was like, well, y'all were laughing and hugging and joking and you're best friends now. So and I think the reason that happens is because I'm a good listener. I I don't say a whole lot initially because I'm a naturally curious person and curious people listen. Right. And being in technology, you have to be curious and you have to listen in order to learn. So I think another way is being a great listener. And my team understands that, that, you know, I'm not listening to respond. I'm listening to hear. And in order to show that, you have to take what you've heard and implement that. So say, for instance, you know, I have a couple of my engineers, you know, hey, Marcus, what do you think about us, you know, working remote every other Friday? Well, well tell me a little more about it. What do you, what do you, what are you guys thinking? Why, why do you think that that would be beneficial to our organization? And we had the conversation and make a long story short, you know, I'm okay with that. Let's work, you know, remote on Fridays. And if I didn't listen to them and I just responded, then I don't think that would have gone over very well because people realize whether you're actually listening to them or you're hearing them for a response. So, you know, being a listener and taking action on the feedback that I get from my team, I think has been very, very, very important as well. And then from a technology standpoint, you need to make sure that they have the tools and the technology and the training that they need in order to be successful. And we spend a lot of money on training. We spend a lot on tools and we spend a lot on partnerships. So there there are some partnerships that we have that I treat them the same way that I treat my team and vice versa, because it's not a vendor manager relationship. It's a partnership, regardless of what badge you're wearing. We're all shooting towards the same goal and we all have the same values and we all have the same outcomes in mind. So let's make sure that we create an environment to where it's not a vendor versus manager, manager versus vendor. That's not a very healthy or productive environment. So that's something else that that I continuously strive to to strengthen as well as when we have new vendors come on board to understand that they're a good fit, right? Because just because you're the cheapest on the block or you have the best technology, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna you're gonna fit into our culture. And lastly, I would say ensure that you're meeting your employees where they are. Um, I've had some situations to where I've had some employees that had interest in coming into leadership and I create that environment for them to grow and for them to have a safe environment to fail because I think failure is part of growth. You know, you're not going to get fired if you make a mistake. Now, if you make the same mistake over and over again, we may have to have a different conversation. But how do you create that environment for people to fail and fail fast and and to grow? And then also, too, to make sure that they are working on things that are meaningful and exciting and appealing to them. So, you know, we'll take the security example you know, we have a knock and I could easily hire a security analyst and say, hey, comb through these logs all day, every day and let me know if you see an anomalies. And when the red lights start flashing, let me know. That person's probably not going to work in security for smart financial for very long. But if I give them a project and say, hey, you know, we're seeing 
X amount of activity in this area. Can you help us come up with a solution to make sure that we have the appropriate controls in place and we're really mitigating risk for the organization? That's a different conversation, right? That may entail combing through logs, but it's much more than that. Now you're seeing the value that you add to the organization, not just another task or not just something else on my checklist that I have to come in and I have to do every day. So really keep your employee engaged and keep them interested and letting them do things that they want to do and that they enjoy doing that they're passionate about. And hopefully, you know, during the interviewing process, you can really hone into that. But a lot of times I've inherited teams to where you have to learn your people. You have to meet them where they are and you have to create that environment based on the relationships that you actually build with your employees. Well, you you said so much there. And it's interesting because almost every element you discussed is an element of trust. If you listen and actually take action based on what you heard, if you actually ask people to tell you what you should be doing or what you can look at to actually take action on these things. It's all an element of trust. And it's interesting because we sometimes forget how relationships are built and how empathy is built and the importance of those things. But really where the foundational element is, do you trust me? I, I will not admit, and my team would back me up on this, that I sometimes talk a little bit too much, but they also know that on any given day, they can push back on what I've said. And there's about a 90% chance that I'll go the path that they wanted me to because I'm going to learn in the process. As you said, failure is not a problem unless you do it repeatedly. But if I don't listen on an ongoing basis, if I don't take action based on what they recommend, then trust is broken because I've said something different than what I actually do. When you look at the future, What do you look at as being the number one most significant opportunity and the number one most significant challenge for smart financial? It's a great question. I think the number one opportunity that we have, and it ties back to that member experience, is really becoming efficient, lean, as well as relational when it comes to our members. So I I think in, in a perfect world, People want things quickly. People want to know that we care about them. People want to know that their financial future is secure with our organization. And I think the fourth part that is really a great opportunity for us, and I mentioned it earlier, is the stages of life, right? So if you have a financial institution, I I think about and I correlated to kind of our employee assistance program, right? So if your employees are having issues, they don't really know who to turn to. You know, I I have a doctor, I have a pastor, I have a friend, but I can't get my answers from any of them. So who do I turn to? I'll go to my EAP. I think the same thing can apply in the financial space. And some people will probably think I'm crazy, but walk with me a little bit here. So if you get in a bind and, you know, hey, I, I can't call my pastor, I can't call, you know, my brother, I can't call my mother because they're not going to loan me the money that I need to get myself out of this situation, right? And I I think that if as a financial organization, we can build that trust, like you mentioned, and we can build those relationships, 
then we'll have members that are loyal. We'll have members that will come to us for their financial, not only for their financial problems, but for their financial successes as well. Right. You know, hey, Smart Financial helped me through this tough time. Now I have, you know, sufficient funds or, you know, maybe I have an inheritance that I need to make some investments. Let me go over to Smart Financial because I have that relationship with them. I've built that relationship with them and see if they can help me in this space. So I think that's that's a, a, a great opportunity there. One of the biggest challenges that I would say, Jim, is the ecosystem of banking as a whole. And the, the reason I say that is because there is a lot of convenience when it comes to the banking ecosystem. But I think that that raises the risk level as well. I'll give you a perfect example. So if you have your direct deposit, it's tied using ACH, then that's tied to real payments. Then that's tied to, you know, hey, put this in my IRA. And then this is tied to put this in my daughter's account. So there are a lot of touch points for these seamless transactions. But each one of those touch points I think that there could potentially be a vulnerability there. So if you infiltrate from a security standpoint, either one of those touch points, it could very easily flow and it could very easily impact your entire ecosystem, if you will, from a financial standpoint. I'm hoping it doesn't happen. It's kind of like the viruses back in the day, right? If you get a virus, if you get a virus on a PC, then it goes from one PC to the next, and then to your servers and to your routers, and then now we we have a big mess here. So that that concerns me. It doesn't keep me up at night, but it it concerns me because not everyone has the due diligence from a security standpoint that. I feel comfortable with, and this is just Marcus's personal opinion, but that's that's one of the things that 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 I think about. It doesn't keep me up at night, but it's one of the things that I think about. It's a convenience, but there's I think there's a risk that's involved with that convenience as well. You know, it's it's such an interesting balancing act because as you describe it, yes, all these elements, all these seamless interactions become in a way very risky and hard to peel back the layers. On the other hand, if you don't support those seamless interactions, you become just a back office rail for some other solution. So it's a balancing act in saying, how do I become relevant in my member's life every day in the ways that they want me to be relevant, but how do I do it securely, not just for the security of them, but for security of the financial institution? So finally, Marcus, what should other modest-sized financial institutions do today to become more future-ready? What one thing would you recommend saying, you know, this has got to be priority one and maybe on a more global sense or tactically? I would say um, embrace technology. That means so much to so many different people. I mean, you could start from moving your data centers to the cloud and then well, Marcus, our information is out in the cloud and someone could hack and they're going to have all our information. Well, whether you know it or not, it's already out there. So let's just embrace it. I would say let's let's embrace technology and really use technology to the benefit of your organization. I mean, if you think back the way that technology has evolved, you know, there there's always been pushback. You know, hey, we can't do this. We can't. Well, 
Let's stop looking at what we can't do and let's start looking at what we can do. How do we do it safe? How do we do it sound? And how do, how do we do it efficiently? So I would say embrace technology more from a strategic standpoint. From a tactical standpoint, I would say really listen to your members. Find a way to make that connection with your members. Find a way to really understand what they're looking for and find a way to really meet those needs within reason, right? And if you can do that, then I think that's going to project your organization to the next level. And then lastly, I would say relationships and trust. And you mentioned that, and that's one of the things that's really high on my radar. And another pillar is kind of a fifth or a four and a half pillar, if you will, is community engagement and community involvement. So we do a lot in our community And that really brings all of the things that we talked about together. I mean, the trust that we talked about, the member experience that we talked about, the technology that we talked about, the security that we talked about, really getting out in the community and letting the community know that, hey, we're here for you. We're here to make your life easier. We're here to make your life better. And we're here to support you at whatever stage in your life. And you can't just say that, you know, like you mentioned earlier, it's not just lip service. Are you at the Chamber of Commerce meetings? You know, are you at the soccer game? You know, you could say that on your website, but nobody sees you there. It's like, okay, well, are you really involved with the community? Or you just say that you are. So are you that's what checks? I would say. Just writing checks. Yeah. Yep. That's yep. exact that's exactly right. Yep. That's yeah. exactly right. Marcus, thank you so much for being on the show today. You provide a lot of very unique insights. It proves too that it doesn't matter what size organization you are with regard to how you can respond to member needs, customer needs, and employee needs. It is really built into the infrastructure, into the mindset and the culture of the organization. And you talked about embracing technology and and what's going on there. It's really a matter of opening your mind to banking differently. Um, We can't keep all the back office the same. We can't keep everything we do the same as we've done before. We have, as you mentioned, more opportunity than ever with all the data and the digital technology we have to respond differently to every opportunity and to make it better. I I was at an organization meeting about a week ago and I I told people, I said, you know, actually I've been in banking 47 years. The basics have not changed. How we do it have changed massively and the opportunity to do it better than we ever thought possible is there. So Marcus, Thank you so much. It's great to have you on the show. It's great to have you as one of our visionaries that will share their insights with others in the industry. And I hope we get to meet again. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for listening to the Visionaries podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into all the tips and tricks you can use to elevate your digital game. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share with others inside and outside your organization. Post about it on social media, or just leave a thumbs up and comment. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our senior producer, Leah Hassage, and audio and video engineer, Chris Vasalius. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, remember, leading with empathy is the number one thing you can do to take care of your people and your organization. 